Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey through the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words, and mispronunciations of names, cities, and more. That was a little because I'm really self-conscious. So I'm self-conscious about the way I say hello now because uh, one of our <laughs> most avid listeners, uh, my friend Megan, hi Megan, um, she came up to me in the office uh, last week and just walked up to me and was like, oh, "I haven't seen you in so long, but I I feel like I've been around you because I've been listening to the podcast." Hello. <laughs> And she said hello, and I knew, I was like, oh my God, that is exactly how I open every <laughs> single episode. Please stop mixing it up. Hiya. Hey there. What's going on? Yeah. Let's no. not do that. That's oh, awful. Man. Yeah, it's just um, going to have to, maybe that's my, uh, is that my, <laughs> hello can't be a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> is that my catchphrase? I've got to have more to say. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah. Oh, you just said hello. Were you doing an Alison? <laughs> People all over the world. You can't stop. put hello on a T-shirt and have anyone know what that means. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, so how are you, Beck? I am good, thank you. Uh, good. You think? <laughs> yeah. um, it is, by the time this episode uh, airs, it's episode seven. It's episode seven. Um... It will be the first October, mm. so we're autumn. into the month autumn. It's my favorite season. My favorite I season. I love the leaves. Yeah, I, I, you're like I love the leaves. I'm like I love boots, scarves, <laughs> jackets, layers, fashion. <laughs> yeah, autumn fashion is the best. Absolutely, hands hands down the best. Um, Agreed. What else do you love about autumn? Warm beverages in, like vacant outside spaces with low light it's almost mulled wine season <gasps> Ooh, mulled wine and vacant outside spaces with low light but before <laughs> mulled wine season it's pumpkin spice everything season pumpkin spice, yeah well, which like, is not it's, really my thing it's gone everywhere and also i still don't understand what it is oh this is the thing too because how do you spice a pumpkin and then put it in a coffee no it's uh, here's the thing you are from england Yes. Yeah, slash Ireland, sorry. You are from this <laughs> side of the world. In North America, we love, like, pumpkin pie, which is not a thing over here. No. Like, pumpkin baked goods. Pumpkin baked It's goods. so, no, it's so delicious. So the spices are not, like, it's, obviously, spi- it's, like, cinnamon and nutmeg. Cinnamon and, like, sweet and warm. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I get it. I just, I don't I know if I need pie. it in... In your coffee. To be fair, I don't My know coffee. if I've ever had a pumpkin spice latte. I don't think I have. Should we go out after this and get Let's one? Let's get one. Great. We'll have a first. We'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, what we think about pumpkin yeah. spice lattes. I'll be like, what are these spices? <laughs> How have you spiced this pumpkin and put it in my coffee? <laughs> um... So obviously, October is also the month uh, not only of pumpkin spice lattes, but of Halloween. I'm going to put some reverb on that. Yeah, that's going to sound so good. Because just right now, it wasn't that great. Yeah, but it's going to be good. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Um, And accidentally, Mm. we didn't even plan this, but um, we're on top of our editorial (laughs) calendar, so we know what the, the next few episodes will be. The 
three books uh, for the month of October that we'll do are all kind of spooky, science fictiony, fantasy, horror-y yeah. books, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I don't know about you. It's not like it's not like all three of those are one genre. Um, <laughs> They're <then> not. <laughs> They're not genres I tend to necessarily gravitate no, towards. Totally. That that. Yeah, in fact, more often than not, would go in the other direction of would be my. Yeah. It's the bit of the bookshop that I I may not have ever gone into. I'm the same. I don't know. I'm like, and but you know, we've already discovered that there are some some great little. Yeah. Well, and t- today's is uh, Neil Gaiman, who yeah. is an author I have read and do respect and admire and yeah. love. So that's that's an easy transition yeah. into this genre. And then I shouldn't even say this because we're also going to be doing Stephen King, who I love as well. So it's really not that. <laughs> we're talking crap. Yeah. So we're, we're keeping it real safe when we talk about <laughs> yeah. these genres. Um, we're doing like the most kind of notorious authors of them. But I am excited to dive into some, some spooky tales yeah. for the season. It's nice to read things that I wouldn't, normally pick up as well and mm-hmm. and enjoy it and think oh well you know maybe actually there's something in in this genre for me that i didn't previously know so yeah, yeah. absolutely and as the leaves rustle outside and the pumpkins roll down the roads <laughs> uh, <laughs> looking for spice looking for <laughs> aren't we all um <laughs> October is hashtag bookshop day which I just discovered and I'm super duper excited about. Love a bookshop. Uh, love a bookshop. Have you got a favorite? Uh, do I have a favorite bookshop? Ooh, shoot, you've put me on the spot. I have. So I love secondhand bookshopping. Yeah. Um, so that would be ooh, I love the Oxfam bookshop in Angel on the Upper Street but I think my favorite one that I've discovered thus far is uh, Bookmongers in Brixton. Why? Because it has a giant dog face painted on the side of the wall with a David <laughs> Bowie lightning bolt across it. Makes sense. So it's great. All and of I've, your loves in one place. Yeah. And it's it's a combination of new books and secondhand. Uh, you would love it. There's a cat in there. Ooh. So I have to take an antihistamine before I go in. <laughs> uh, but that is where I found my hardback high fidelity. Oh, nice signed and that's where I found my glove pond and uh, the gum thief box set Douglas cool. Copeland which is great uh, so that would be mine what about yours do you have one um, yeah I my similarly Oxfam but the Oxfam in Highgate is mm-hmm. I just have been going there for years I, I just love it and also on a nice autumnal day um, <laughs> the view across the city is just stunning and it's something that I really enjoy about getting a new book grabbing a coffee and just sort of like looking out across London mm-hmm. um, and Books Upstairs in Dublin is just my favourite bookshop I, I every time I land on that tarmac it's the first place I go and I just look at books I, so they, they have a wonderful selection of literary magazines which I love that's how I find a lot of new writers um, and they just have a, just a wonderful selection of things and uh, yeah I love it a lot Amazing. So if you want to go and participate, a just follow the hashtag bookshop day on Twitter and Instagram to see kind of who's participating. But you can also go to booksaremybag.com uh, and you can search with your postcode and see which books, uh, which books bookshop. near you, which bookshops <laughs> near you are participating and have events going on on the day. So you can see there's all sorts of great stuff going on all around England and potentially the world. Um, so have a look at that and 
you know, get excited about books. Cool. So should we talk should we uh, about in? today's book? Uh, I'll introduce you to the author. Neil Gaiman is a prolific writer of many things. Born in Hampshire in 1960, Gaiman grew up in Sussex. After graduating from Whitgift School in Croydon, he worked as a freelance journalist before earning his first author credit in 1984 for a paperback biography of Duran Duran. Who knew? I did not know, but I think that's, that's amazing. Wonderful. Uh, and it actually apparently sold out its first pressing. Uh, so not long after that, uh, he teamed up with artist Dave McKean to create several series of graphic novels, the most groundbreaking of which was the Sandman series, which launched in 1989 and ran to 1996. His works of fiction include several that have been adapted for film and television. Stardust in 1999 and Coraline 2002 both became feature films, while American Gods 2001 and Good Omens, his 1990 collaboration with Terry Pratchett, being turned into Amazon Prime series. Gaiman has won an impressive number of awards over his career, including four Hugos, two Nebulas, one World Fantasy Award, four Bram Stoker Awards, six Locus Awards, two British Science Fiction Awards, one British Fantasy Award, three Geffens, one International Horror Guild Award, and two Mythopic Awards. So, I mean, <sighs> trying <laughs> trying to come up with an author bio for him was like, <laughs> how do I condense this also, into a way that it's not the entire podcast? Every Doctor Who episode he has written has been absolutely stellar. Oh, right. I so forgot. Good. You love Doctor so Who. So good. Yeah. What was it? The Doctor's Wife. The Doctor's was like the Wife big one? was incredible, yeah. and that was in a series that was really badly written. So it was like, <laughs> so it really Neil stood Gaiman, out. Thanks. <laughs> it was just mind blowing. He's such a good writer. Amazing. Um, yeah. Well done. I should also mention because we did joke about having his entire biography be <laughs> that he is the husband of Amanda Fucking Palmer. Yeah, we're rewriting years of the erasure of women's identity in in one sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Neil Gaiman is, Neil Amanda, Gaiman fucking is Amanda fucking <laughs> Palmer's <laughs> husband. We're big fans. Um, woo, women. Cool. Um, <laughs> so do you want to tell us about tell our listeners about the book that we will be I uh, read today. loads of different synopsis. It was interesting actually reading a synopsis of this book because they were all quite different, um, but mm. I really liked this one, which was from Goodreads. Um, so, Sussex, England. A middle-aged man returns to his childhood home to attend a funeral. Although the house he lived in is long gone, he is drawn to the farm at the end of the road where, when he was seven, he encountered a most remarkable girl, Letty Hemstock, and her mother and grandmother. He hasn't thought of Letty in decades, and yet, as he sits by the pond, a pond that she'd claimed was an ocean, behind the ramshackle old farmhouse, the unremembered past comes flooding back. And it is a past too strange, too frightening, too dangerous to have happened to anyone, let alone a small boy. Forty years earlier, a man committed suicide in a stolen car at this farm at the end of the road, like a fuse on a firework, his death lit a touch paper and resonated in unimaginable ways. The darkness was unleashed, something scary and thoroughly incomprehensible to a little boy, and Letty, magical, comforting, wise beyond her years, promised to protect him no matter what. That's, that is a good it's synopsis. It's a good synopsis, isn't it? Well yeah, done. It was the best one I found. There was also a nice one on Amazon, if, if you wanted to <laughs> compare, but I liked that one a lot. Awesome. Uh, and our guest today, his name is Brad. Uh, so Brad Ewan is an in-house writer for a tech company here in London. He's often described by co-workers past and present as eccentric, strongly opinionated, and just plain silly. He loves a good book with a touch of magic in it, but doesn't read as often as he'd like. 
He's also obsessed with people's side projects, which is exactly why he's joining on this podcast today. Thank you for being obsessed with our project, and welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks very much. You picked a good book because it's magical. <laughs> but I have to admit, though, I feel like looking at the episodes that have been out so far, I kind of feel like a kid joining the adults' table. There's all these like really serious books that I've never heard of, and you guys are like really into literature. Oh no, mine was like slapstick lols. It was mine. Was Yours? <laughs> yeah, right. Mine was not a serious book at all. No, you you misunderstand, and I I do understand that you haven't listened to all the episodes yet, so I'll let you yes. off. Um, this one. <laughs> one and three and quarter I'm, episodes. I'm pointing to Beck. Our listeners can't see that. Um, she's the one that's really into literature and I've has her masters books. in in uh, writing and all of these degrees and has a masters. Books. I've read a couple of books. <laughs> yeah. She today. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify. Yeah. Um, Whereas I'm the one that I have read a lot of books, but I haven't read like the books you're meant to have read, like the classics. Oh, yeah. You mentioned this this to me before. Yeah. So I like to think that's our dynamic. It's the perfect balance. It makes us accessible. So you're not a kid joining the grown-ups table because I'm here with you. You're just a a teenager striving to become a better person. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. I I happen to know our next book is even more childish than this one, so you're fine. Can we can we get a little spoiler as to what that Uh, might be? Yeah, I believe if we confirm with him, uh, our next book is called Grinny by Nicholas Nicholas Fisk. 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 Yeah. Yeah. He also did the Trapdoor series, like a a spooky kids book, basically. Yeah. Um, I'm staring blankly. Yeah. Mm. No, I am also infinitely. Yeah, we haven't started yeah, it yet, but it's it. like 98 pages. We're gonna <laughs> Which is oh. why we chose it. Yay, yeah. short book. <laughs> and also because it's important to someone. Oh, yeah, and it matters. That's that's why we're here. <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah. From Actually, now yeah, on, we're only reading books we can read quickly. Yours was great because there were lots of pages, but words spread around on those pages incredibly thinly, so I was I was happy about that. Yeah. I have to ask, what's the quick like one-liner reason why you guys are doing this still? We were having mental breakdowns, and we needed a reason to come out with them. Is that right? I mean, that's wait, that's you, wait. You ha- you started a podcast to come out of that. That's like kind of, that's like yeah. a high fidelity like solution. <laughs> Let's undertake a very there, complex there was no side meaning project. In our lives. Yeah. <laughs> we just needed I, we needed a creative outlet. Yeah. We lost one, uh, and that neither of us can perform music currently um, due to physical health ailment stuff, um, and. That played. A, this is not one line. Um, <laughs> that that kind of had us down in the dumps, as it were. Uh, and we we both are the type of people that thrive with some sort of creative outlet. And we both love reading and literature. And so it just kind of came to be. And here we are reading so many books in our spare time outside yeah. of. Um, well, the episode seven. So we've read seven new books. Yeah. Because I don't think we'd read any of them. A couple of them we read before, but pretty much. Yeah, other than the ones that we had both, our books, I hadn't read any of them. That's kind of cool, though. I like that. I mean, because you can just join a book club, right? But I like that. And this is why I think one of the reasons why I like people's side projects is that you're you're consuming something new. Like, it's it's good to read new books, right? But then at the end of it, you're producing some sort of creative output. And I think that makes the experience feel more valuable. Yep. Not to devalue like yeah, yeah. the art of reading books. I, I love reading <laughs> a book. But like I said, uh, well, like was said in my bio before, I don't read books as often as I'd like. And I think it's because I've kind of become hooked on this idea of I, I struggle to find intrinsic value in doing things unless there's some sort of demonstrable like creative output, mm-hmm. which is I think why I've ended up as like a writer. I didn't study like marketing or, or writing or anything like that like I've ended up in this um, and I think it's because I just I really like being able to 
take what's essentially learning. I'm essentially learning something new and then producing uh, like a new output from those learnings for a different audience than maybe the uh, original sources were intended for. Yeah. I think there's something as well about books and certainly that we've discovered in doing this and I love reading but there's also such a great pleasure of then sharing that with someone and talking about it with someone and finding out what it meant to them and why and it changes what you what you feel about the book and and why it matters to you and there's um I think we've spoken about this before there's a, a great bit in the perks of being a wallflower when he talks about when he gives someone a gift he gives a book that he has loved to that person because he doesn't just want them to go and read the book he wants to share his love of the book with them and that I must have read that about 20 years ago, but that has always really stuck with me. And books can be quite a solitary affair, but actually they open, like this one does, open so many worlds of imagination and interest and intrigue that not sharing them with people seems like a little bit of a falsehood to the artistry of them. I was going to ask, like, oh, why don't you read as much? And you've literally just answered that. Okay, so we've done that one. Yep, we can start anywhere. You, you. Yeah, I was going to ask because um, I, I can be quite driven by a genre of a book as to whether I'm going to read it or not. So um, what draws you to a book is my question. Interesting. It's hard to say um, because I'm reading more sporadically these days. I think I think one thing that will always be it will always capture my attention a little bit is the genre of fantasy. And I think that stems back to, and this is very common, I guess, uh, loving the Harry Potter series as a child. So I'm sure that I I'm sure that I read prior to that. I don't know if I was ever like a quote unquote book nerd before then, but I think Harry Potter was that series where it was like, whoa, all right, reading is dope. This series is wicked. <laughs> um, and I think I was probably roughly around about the same age as Harry as the time that like I picked up the novel. So it just felt like very relatable and, you know, very sort of a super exciting world. And um, although I've read a lot of people critiquing online, like people that have like read the series when they were sort of that age and then now they've become adults and reread it, like critiqued J.K. Rowling's writing as like simplistic. I've seen that. Mm. But I was like, I'm like, eh, I, I don't really care. I think as long as it's enjoyable, like that's all that matters. Well, and I think considering the success it had, it seems that some people did enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a yeah, couple, yeah, yeah. A couple, a couple of guys quite liked it, right? Yeah. Some girls too, I think. <laughs> also, I think if you're... I think the you can a lot of people will have a lot of different things to say about Harry Potter and how it's written and her writing style you, and you could analyze it to the cows come home but the one thing you cannot deny that it did was get children reading definitely and I mean case I in point kind right of here feel like, yeah. yeah is that that's kind of what matters isn't it you know you don't need a kid to be sat down there reading the great Russians and coming up with like, deep theories of society what you do need is for them just to fall in love with reading and it did that so regardless of how badly or how well written it is it did do that yeah and like you know the rest is kind of irrelevant i think at that point when i think so many of us grew up as kids at least like in kind of our general age bracket like everyone we've had on thus far has been within the same sort of generation um those those are kind of all of our starter books. So whether it's Harry Potter or like I know for both of us and for I think Lux on our last mm-hmm. episode as well, like the Narnia Chronicles were big. Like our yeah. parents all read Narnia to us or like Lord of the Rings or these are like these sort of things. I think they're those books that like adults will read them to you because they like them too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just like this yeah. mindless like childish dribble. It's it's interesting and it's, it's adventurous and like yeah. it can become kind of a 
a little like family thing. So I grew up on the same, like my dad read me The Hobbit, my dad read me Narnia. Um, and then as I got older, he was like, here's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And now, like, as I've grown up, I actually don't really read fantasy or, or that sort of genre, like, almost at all anymore. Which is kind of, like, I'm excited to dive yeah. into those things a little more on this podcast because that's, like, a whole massive genre yeah. that I really have no I, connection it's not, to. It's not one I'm, yeah, similarly, since I was a kid, I read the Terry Pratchett stuff when I was younger. Even then, I would have been 12, 13, I think. Mm. So... Fantasy is a genre that traditionally I sort of walk in the other direction from. And, I, and I'm not really sure why, because Narnia, Lord of the Rings, all of those things were a massive part of my reading journey. And now I sort of think, no, I've, I've, I'm not interested in that style. No. So it was really interesting to read this because also I know that I love Neil Gaiman. So it was, it was kind of a, a weird place to find myself. Like I, I know that I love this writer. I know that I don't like fantasy. Here's a book. <laughs> I have a bit of a theory about that. I don't know if you'll agree, but yeah. I think it's because like... Are we going into psychological <laughs> terms? <laughs> no, yes. no, no, no. I, I just think this is my own personal feeling. I'm just going to project it onto you. Okay. Um, I love projection. So Hit like, me. I think the genre of fantasy, and I, I know there's like a there's like a term high fantasy thrown out. I don't proclaim to know the exact definition of what high fantasy is, but this is what I understand it to be. is like, there's like these like deep, intricate worlds that are developed and these can be long book series. It's like you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten books, like, they can be huge, and, like, the lore of these universes is so deep. And I feel like that can be off-putting, like, the sheer complexity of it. Mm. And that is definitely something that, like, puts me off. Like, mm. I... Even with, like, something like The Lord of the Rings, as mainstream as that, like, I love the films, but, like, I've tried reading the books a couple of times, admittedly, a number of years ago now, and it's just, like, it just feels so complex. Mm. Yeah. Whereas I think with this particular book, and I'm sure we'll get into it more, it's it's a very simplistic world like there's it's set in just like one little village in england there's just like a handful of characters there's like a little bit of magic and i think the fact that it's just like contained within yeah. that little bubble just makes it so much more accessible I, yeah i definitely agree and actually we spoke about that a little bit when we did shadow of the wind mm. and that you know it's part of a series i like i i have commitment issues i was gonna say i have commitment issues in my life anyway <laughs> I, I don't do need it. them with my literature yeah <laughs> my books are an escape from my real life i don't want to feel like i'm failing at a relationship yeah that said i went and bought the second book in that series the other day have you read it no okay when do i have time well, which never. series is it uh, Shadow of the Wind. Shadow of the Wind. Is the angel in the dust? The I think it's the angel's <laughs> game or something. Is this like, well, I don't know. It uh, almost sounds like a random fantasy title generator it's, created. It's, yeah. <laughs> Although they're not super fantasy. No, they're not, they have elements of they're fantasticism. They're like whimsical, but they're not. They're, they're not, not fantasy. But no, yeah. they're not fantasy. But, but then also, I, th- I was reading in the back of this in the acknowledgementy bitty things. It was a fun acknowledgement section. I, oh, I, didn't yeah, I, I really normally ignore that it. stuff. I don't normally read it. I enjoyed it. But also, he says in it that he wrote this because um, Amanda Palmer doesn't like fantasy. So he, he wrote this wrote, for her? Well, he wrote a book that he didn't want to be overly fantasy because she doesn't really like fantasy as a genre. So basically, he wrote this for us. Yes. So he wrote this for people that don't really like fantasy, but love that sort of, I guess I love the imagination that comes with fantasy, that ability to explore and completely remove yourself from the world in in ways that, you know, are are magical and fantastical like nothing else. But I I definitely agree with that thing of like, it becomes complicated and there's a million different worlds happening and you kind of have to commit to having to read 30 books or whatever <laughs> yeah. madness it is in a Discworld. So don't even get me started like, on the names. Names oh, in the fantasy names books are awful. messed 
up. And the front covers are also really bad. And I'm not a judge of book by a cover person, but some covers I see on fantasy books just Oh yeah, yeah. you could like you could like Photoshop out the titles and like mess them all around yeah. and I bet you even fans of the books would be like, uh, which was my favourite one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, we're alienating the entire fantasy. But we're gonna bring them back. Nah, fantasy's dope. About... Fantasy's dope. We all like it. Yeah. We all think it's good, okay, good in different ways. I think Oof. it probably has a lot there's a lot more nuances within fantasy as a genre, I think, yeah. than I probably, as someone that doesn't read it, allow it to have or recognise that it has. And this is a good example of that because this is definitely a fantasy novel, but I would say that it's incredibly accessible. It's magical. Um, it doesn't lay anything on too thick. And like you say, it's very condensed and concise. And, and I can imagine this place that he's sitting. I don't feel like I'm having to go into the depths of my imagination and, and pull something apart that isn't there. It feels very realistic. And it doesn't feel like I'm in some sort of weird computer game trying to get to the next level all the time, which is often how I feel <laughs> with fantasy <laughs> as a genre. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, this is the second game that I've read, um, first one being American Gods. And American Gods was the first game I read just because I knew the, the television series was coming mm-hmm. out. I knew I loved Amanda Palmer. I knew Neil Gaiman was cool in theory and so I just wanted to jump <laughs> I just wanted to jump in and be cool as well and uh, in theory or in reality did you want to be cool in theory okay cool. uh, I'm not I mean I'm realistic still and I found it really I struggled so much with getting into it because I a I'm not used to the genre it's been many many years and that that having to suspend your disbelief can mm-hmm. be incredibly hard because it started off, and as does this, and like, okay, cool, yeah. I'm meeting these characters, that one's a little weird, you know, he's got a strange personality, but, and then suddenly you're like, the carousel is spinning, <laughs> and you're in a different universe, and people are gods, and their eyes are flaming, and I was like, what is happening? Yeah. And it gets weirder and weirder yeah. and weirder, and so I had to like literally stop myself and say, stop trying to make this make sense, mm-hmm. just read it. Like, just go along for yeah. the ride. And once I had done that and decided to do that, I enjoyed it so much more. And so when I started this one, I knew, I'm like, okay, I've done this. <laughs> I've prepared. done the game. And so I was like, I'm just going to... Suspend reality. You know, the minute things started to be a bit strange, I was like, here we go. Well, I think like, I said to you, like, whoa, that escalated quickly because it was sort of bobbing along quite nicely. And then suddenly things are swirling around and I was just... What am I just what had I just read before that? I'd read something very, very real life, realistic, sort of, you know, every day. And my my mind was just not caught up to being yeah. in a sort of fantastical loop. So yeah, I think suspend reality slightly with this and let your imagination run away with you is a good good tip before dealing fully in any kind of fantasy. Yeah. We do before we get into this we book. We haven't done our question. We haven't asked the most important question. Bum, bum, Which question bum. is that? I already know what the answer is going to be. <laughs> are, are you i got to ask you what that means <laughs> after I'm done. No, no, no. <laughs> it's just be, basically um, because you haven't uh, listened to every episode yet, you haven't learned that we have an ongoing battle between us <laughs> um, as to which type of uh, publication of, of print is best uh, so that's paperback versus hardback. And um, we just love to hear what you think about that and what your preference is. So I've got my, I know my answer. Of course I know my answer. But I have <laughs> to know who's team which. 
I feel like you should answer no, first. No, no, answer first. Oh. Because, uh, otherwise... Because this is the first time okay. where someone has come on and not we'll already it. known which yeah. which sides we're on, so I mean, you, I'm sure you, there I will figure, be no pandering. Okay, I mean, I'm sure I heard an episode one and just forgot. Um, I have a <laughs> terrible memory. This is not like a reflection on the quality of the podcast. Uh, I don't even remember what I did at work today. Um, so, I am staunchly team paperback. Hey, it's Beck. Beck yeah. Paper Beck. yeah. And I got to tell you why. I'm so good at this game. Please tell us why. So, well, are you winning? <laughs> oh, yeah, by like. By a landslide. Yeah, that's very sensible. So, <laughs> thank you. It, put simply, hardback is dumb. Beautiful. Uh, no, hardback is wow. ridiculous. I think hardback only. He's harsher than I am. And yeah. I have hardback only spread. makes sense. And I actually, I, I think I mentioned this to my coworker today, and he was also along the same line of thinking as me. Uh, hardback, I think, only works for like a ceremonial book, like some book Agreed. where there's like maybe one copy or a very limited number of copy copies, and the whole point of that book is is really not even so much to read it as it is to just like treasure it as an as an object whereas like paperback is so accessible from just like pure reading ux perspective it is way more comfortable it's lighter it's ergonomic yes it's easier to get around it's yeah i i'm just not carrying the right type of bag (laughs) god you need like a giant burlap sack to carry around hardback books and then you rest it on your plinth and then you turn each page with a yeah right exactly like Mm -hmm. honestly opening up a hardback book flipping pages is like it's a nightmare it's an it's an you have to try you have to try that sucks that you have to try to keep it open and to read it it's That's the fine. devil weight. It's um, yeah. No, I feel you. I exactly. mean, I, I think. Like, and then I, dust I jackets. Don't this... even be started on dust jackets. Oh I God. will. I will lose my married. mind. I'm gonna marry this guy. <laughs> Over you, dust what are you jackets. doing at the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's already with someone. Damn it! <laughs> so, yeah, what do they think about taken. dust jackets? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it doesn't work out, you've got yeah. someone very. You take excited. them off. You put them in a the bin. <laughs> <laughs> and then you carry on with your day. Cool. Well, great. So what? I don't even know what the numbers are. They're against me. Lux was on, Lux the, fence, was on the fence. So, we so have, I got point five. Oh, I have to jump in really quick and say Lux is a dope name. Yeah, she stole it from the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, at the start, so not knowing the book at all. Like I'd heard the title before. Right. Like the Virgin, Virgin Suicides. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd, I'd never read it, nor had I watched the movie. I didn't even know it was a movie. Um, but then I was just like, Lux. I was like, shit, that is a dope name. Yeah. And then finally it got revealed. And I must admit, it kind of undercut it a little bit. But I was like, <laughs> it's still a cool name. Uh, I'll tell Lux you said that. <laughs> I mean, if she listens to this. She'll hear it. Lux, yeah. you have a dope name. There you go. <laughs> okay. So, so let's kind of paint a picture of what this specific book is about. I mean, obviously we've talked about the genre. We've <laughs> talked about it being magical. But um, would you like to describe... What is the, the story? Yeah. Succinctly summarize it. Better than that Goodreads one? Ooh. That's going to be hard. I mean, it was really good. It yeah. was really good. I mean, it, no doubt it'll be better than the Amazon one. But So tell the listeners. Uh, listeners, this book, <laughs> the uh, I'm addressing you directly. The Ocean at the End of the Lane. It's It's a book about a child who sort of, uh, from a little bit of a distance, experiences something a little bit horrific. Um, and then very quickly finds themselves sort of like wrapped up in like a weird magical adventure. It's very, I think, how do I put it? There's definitely horror undertones. And I think we should talk more about that later. Yes. Because I forgot how much. It's scary. Oh, this yeah. Is, yeah. So I, I reread the book. 
yeah. before coming on here. Like the first time I read it was a little while ago. And I forgot the horror undertones to this book. And so there's kind of like a malevolent entity that becomes more and more present in the, the real world. Um, and our little protagonist. Who's nameless. Who's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was trying to think. Like, I was trying to name. bring a name yeah. to mind, and I was no, like, he, "He's never given a name." The boy, yeah. the boy, the little yeah. boy, yeah, seven-year-old protagonist, mm-hmm. um, who is basically just Neil. The dude says he writes for himself. I'm sure there's yeah. tons of Neil. In I that, did read that, actually, and I think it was in Wikipedia that um, <laughs> the uh, the the dude stealing the car and killing himself in the car was, was based on an actual event. Yeah, but I don't um, think he found out till later in life, yeah. right? Yeah. I was yeah. like, "Your dad, what happened to our car?" When yeah. I was like. So, yeah, there's quite a few little things, apparently, that are based on specific things that actually happened. And his dad was like, yeah, someone stole it and committed suicide in it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool for my book. The the Hemstock women, he said, appear in quite a lot of his writing. They're they're kind of recurring. I didn't know that. And I've read one of the things that they're supposedly referenced in. So I need to go back and reread that. Yeah. So there is quite a lot of autobiographical or biographical elements or themes I think I feel like I should throw this back to you guys I did a terrible summary of the book just there I don't even feel more clear on what happened with the book (laughs) basically basically Neil Gaiman witnesses a suicide when he's seven years old (laughs) and then he discovers that his neighbours effectively are very ancient magicians And an evil entity creeps into the real world because he and they are idiots. Via the worst. The worst worst is the worst way. way. Neil Gaiman has a wormhole in his foot. I am traumatized by this worm. It should be Oh my God, I never even thought of it as a worm. Oh, it's a wormhole. Yeah, it's a hole with a worm. Yeah. Is that not? And it's a portal to another world. I hadn't thought about it that way. They're like wormhole, very literally, Mm -hmm. and wormhole. Yeah. That's some smart writing. So I suppose. (laughs) That's about as clever as it gets. (laughs) I mean, I suppose this is a spoiler, but it happened so early. Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's, I think we're fair to talk about it. And I can't not because I'm deeply disturbed Um, you know if they just said oh like he got a little pain in his foot during this thing and like there was a worm in it fine (laughs) I don't need to hear a description of him taking tweezers and pulling a grey and pink worm that just keeps on coming and he can feel it inside of him sticking and not wanting to come out one thing that I will say greatly aided my reading experience there because that is a horrific experience right like reading that one thing that I was so happy about was that it didn't cause the kid pain. Like yeah, he's talking about true. pulling it out and yeah, it's yeah. not like there were no descriptors around like, like how blood. horrific the experience was. He was like, he could feel it sticking. I think it's described as adhesive against your skin. It's kind of like a Band-Aid where it's yeah. like, yeah. this isn't painful, yeah. but it's just like, I can feel it Yeah, it, w- it wasn't like torture. No. It, was, it was like, it was oh, it was just like a perfectly thing. round little hole. Yeah. Like yeah. it was very that, clean. That's the thing that really fucked me up is the fact that when he looks at it, it's like the hole is there. It hasn't started healing yeah. over. He has like a proper just yeah. exposed hole in his foot. That just feels wrong it was hard. And I was trying to picture it. And for ages, I was like, how? What? Well, how do I? I couldn't. It took me a really long time to get my Like he walks around, around barefoot. That. And this is the English countryside. So he I could mean, be stepping on anything. That could be bad anything could go up that hole. And that's just. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I hadn't brought it up. Put your shoes on, kids. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> the last shoes and socks book. on outside. Just don't go to foreign dimensions. I mean, small <laughs> girls that are really old that can't help you. <laughs> don't go anywhere with small girls that are really no, old. No, he let go of her hand. Uh, yeah, that was his own fault. She, she should have known that was going to come. That, yeah. like, what was it? Like, a some ball was, like, thrown yeah. at him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, so instead, he went to catch this. And he says he's never caught anything in his life before. He's like, oh, I'm so uncoordinated. Except for a worm miss everything. And he finally catches the one ball that will <laughs> ruin the world. Catching that ball is like, <laughs> honestly, 
it's lucky the Hempstock women could undo the damage because, like, literally him catching that thing for mm-hmm. the first time in his life was about to doom the entire of the, <laughs> the earth. The only yeah. thing I've ever caught is a wormhole. They <laughs> 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 like, fucked that right. up, didn't you? Oh. God, Neil Gaiman, the mess that you have made. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's a wormhole. This, uh, this, this creature, this entity, this. I Wait, like sorry, I want to backtrack. I feel like we should make it more clear to the listeners. So, yeah. what happens is that there's this, there's this horrible, malevolent entity in like a foreign dimension, which is just right next door somehow. As in, you can just walk into the dimension as long as you're with a magical little girl. Well, I mean, Sussex is a pretty weird place. I've so never that been. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Well, I lost my train of thought. So yeah, you you he goes there, uh, and there's this giant flapping canvas monster thing, and then the girl Letty basically says, "Hold my hand the entire time. You'll be safe." The ball gets thrown at him by the monster. He catches it, and that split second, he feels a prick in his foot. And then we later find out that was all the the entity needed to be able to basically put a little bit of itself inside him. It's very Stranger Things, actually. Now I think about it, Stranger Things like. Yeah. riffs off that concept pretty heavily yeah. probably not intentionally it's, it's a pretty simple concept um, <laughs> and then yeah he basically comes back to the real world and he's like oh, I've got a hole in my foot and, and there's <laughs> doesn't tell anyone doesn't super, tell he doesn't anyone. tell anyone um, but I think like I, I, I totally felt that I feel like Neil writes from a child's perspective really well because yeah. just reading it just yeah. felt it felt like the the mindset was yeah. totally something I would have felt like something happens that's like a little bit uncomfortable and you sort of know like, oh, an adult won't believe me about yeah. this or yeah. like, you know, an adult will be mad about this at me, will be mad at me for this. And you that know. thing of sort of trying to fix it, like, oh, I'll just get these tweezers mm. and do it. It's, He's it's, super capable though. He's like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm just going to grab the tweezers out and run hot water and this is how you extract a worm from your foot. And it's I like, mean, he may have done it before <laughs> and had some sort of Well, knowledge. he did talk about, he did talk about like planter's warts. Yeah. yeah. So he oh, was treating yes, he it was like get, that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he'd had some experience. Oh yeah. So that's, the, that's the summer things. I learned what the roots of a wart looked like. Yeah. Or something. I didn't know warts had roots. That is so great. Yeah. <laughs> planter's warts. Yeah. Oh God. What a conversation. If you didn't have a, a foot phobia before this book right now. <laughs> okay. So, wormhole in foot. Horrible things ensue. This this creature is like unleashed on the world, more or less, um, and living in his house. She comes in as a as a quote unquote pretty young woman. Yeah. As a pretty young woman that is kind of capable of controlling uh, his family members and making them do what she wants in in I some pretty just, horrible way. Yes. I feel like it's implied like she just has the ability to like affect. Any humans yeah. in any way state. she wants to, or yeah. that she thinks. Well, she always says, "I'm giving them what they want." So any yeah. way that she, so the little girl loves her and is really happy that she's there. And yeah, she get, brings her around and she makes her happy, and the little girl's really happy. And she gives her money, and so she gives people what they want, and then that adheres them to her. So it's interesting that that this creature is like so ancient and has like the you know these like incredible powers, but it doesn't extend as far as being able to directly control people, mm-hmm. even right. when like part of it slash her is inside the protagonist, yeah. she still can't directly control them, which I thought was interesting. No, she it's has interesting to limitation. Them. Yeah, it is more of an it's influence. More, yeah, yeah, she has an influence over them, but she doesn't have direct capacity to, to control. Yeah. And I think that's good as like a as like a just from a writing perspective, like from Neil's perspective, to like have that limitation on powers. Because like mm. I feel like with stuff like Avengers superhero films and stuff these days, like Powers are so crazy. Yeah. It's like people can just do all these things with yeah. like superpowers these days. And it's like, I like it when things are just like, they're given limitations. It allows for much more creativity. It's also 
it was freakier I felt I felt less comfortable because yeah. of that because I didn't feel like she was just you know like making people move and walk and talk in a way that she wanted which I think as a reader I was just like oh well she's just she's just doing these things to them but it was that she was saying that she was influencing them to do the things that they wanted to do which freaked me the fuck out because then like with her father it's like well wait does he actually want to treat his son like this is yeah. she influencing yeah. him in a way to behave in a way that actually he wants to but won't allow himself to and then she's given him this freedom because that's way more terrifying than a bad person coming into your mind and controlling you, I Mm. think. I think so much about how I found this book and if if you want to kind of get into the horror aspect of it, um, it's horror in a way that, because generally I'm not a super fan of horror films or anything like that. But it's that, it's that, it's not gore it's not jump scares it's nothing like that um, not that I don't know if you can have a jump scare in a book but that's more of a film term but it's it's none of this like gratuitous violence or gratuitous mm-hmm. kind of horror it's this undercurrent of like deeply unsettling and disturbing things and it's more on like a psychological level yeah. than like oh there was a monster and it looked like this crazy yeah. thing it's like the the thing the things that like you he could only kind of see them out of the corners of his eyes and they never took shape it's these things that like they never have this solid shape so yeah. you it's all kind of living in your own and it mind it feels more um like it felt more realistic like i can imagine you, you know the bit when he's in the fairy ring and these people are trying to come to him to get him out mm-hmm. but they're not doing it in a frightening scary angry way they're doing it in a come on time to go for dinner now and like that to me is way more horrific because it's normal and it's everyday and it's realistic and it's something that I can imagine happening in day-to-day life of someone presenting themselves as a kind, good person that wants to take you back home and have dinner with you and actually is a horrific monster. Like that's that's the bit that freaked me out in this book. Mm. My thoughts on it are like, I, I completely agree with what you guys are saying. The It's just the, the nature of, the nature of things being unknown in the book, like the limitations of what people can and can't do, like what you know, what Ursula Ursula Moncton mm. can and can't do. What does she like? What is her end goal? Like, what does she want? Like, mm. there are things that are just, I guess, like kept from us as the reader. And the longer the situation draws out, you're like, it, it just it's building a tension. I think so. I think yes, it's it's horror, but I I, I think I said before it's like mild horror. It's like yeah. mild elements of horror in the sense it's it's more like building this psychological tension that. Yeah, like I said, I didn't even think I fully appreciated the first time I read the book. It was like the second time reading through where I was like, whoa, this is actually, I'm feeling tense here. Like, how do we actually get to the, you know, the presumed safe ending, like the yeah. happy ending? Like, I, I don't know. It's just. No, it it was, it's one of the first books I've read in a long time. And even though we've read some, like, amazing books mm-hmm. um, so far on the podcast, that thing where you're doing something else in the day and it comes to your mind and you're like, oh, I wonder, like, what's going to happen next? Which I, I, like, crave that feeling when I am reading a book is to want to go, like, be counting down the minutes until you can get back into it. Yeah. And I found myself, it was coming to mind all of the time when I would be doing other things. I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, where did I leave it or what's going to happen next? And that that kind of sense of it is a bit of terror uh, and and that like sense of suspense and and like you said all of the unknowns you just want to figure it out and and you you may never quite do um, not all of it anyway but it's uh, 
yeah, I I love it when a book will capture your imagination in that way. Um, so maybe I am a fantasy fan. Who knows? I also Could <clears> you? really liked um, how a lot of those very normative cruelties in that way of you know the the mean nanny the um, apparently abusive father the mother that's kind of vacant for quite a lot of those mm. things happening um, and a small child trying to deal with those things which they can't understand and aren't explained and seem dramatic and painful are then actually just healed by love and the love that these the Hemstock women show him they show him kindness and care and love so you have on the one hand all of these awful horrific frightening things happening and every one of them is healed by the love and care of someone else and I, I liked that I thought that was a really beautiful way of bringing these really fantastical magical notions of um, almost like dreamlike states in some of it yeah very much but then it just it, it was brought together by just these calm strong women who just I will show you love and care and we'll sort it out and don't worry I fully agree with you there, but I think again it's in the back of the book somewhere. I think there's I don't know if it's if we have the there's exact a... same copy. It looks like we have slightly different copies. I have some spec savers thing on the front of mine. Um, but <laughs> I'm radio four. I feel like okay, right. I feel like that's also a good uh, a good promotion there for spec savers. Just like oh yeah, people with glasses like reading books. We are all, we are all wearing glasses. Um, but yeah, sorry, I was going to say building on what you were saying before about. Um, uh, what was effectively like the kid being isolated and then all these like little you know fears and horrors and things around him being solved by the Hempstock women uh, and love. It's very explicitly stated by Neil in this interview in the back about like one of the central themes of the book is powerlessness, right? Mm-hmm. Like the powerlessness you feel as a child. And like I hadn't really thought of it so explicitly when reading the book, right. but it's when you get to the end and I read that section and I was like, wow, that that's exactly what he's achieved. It's this idea of, you know, the sort of angry dad and it's like can I really go to him with anything or will he just yell at me and like the vacant mum can I even find her at all yeah. and no spoilers she's fucking never there yeah, yeah where is she yeah oh wasn't she at spec savers actually Did oh she's she at get, yeah she actually she starts she working in an optometrist or something I don't think it's spec savers <laughs> but yeah it's effectively like, and it's just like sorry dear I've got to go to work now you'll be fine yeah, <laughs> like, yeah but uh, how is she never there like and she's doing know. some charity thing in the evening yeah and oh, it's yeah, like yeah, dad's just time. banging this monster and like <laughs> It's crazy. Spoiler. Yeah. Um, I, feel yeah like, I feel like this podcast is all about dropping spoilers. You can't yeah. get into this without spoiling things. The um, That powerlessness. So it's quite a hard word to say. It is. The powerlessness um, that you feel, I think, the moment when I felt that most strongly is that bit in the bath when he literally with his teeth is grabbing onto oh. his Oh, uh, the drowning. Tongue. Yeah. And I was, j- and it came out of no, like, I was not expecting yeah, it. No. Yeah. And then suddenly I felt, I literally, I felt, oh, I felt like I was almost kind of choking along with him because it felt very, very sudden. Um, and yeah. as a reader, I felt like I didn't, I was not ready for that. Yeah. I, like, I feel like I have no power <laughs> right now. And just that feeling of, I could feel the strength that it was taking for him to grab onto his father with his teeth and claw his way back out of that bath. Yeah. And that, in that moment, it was like he, he was using all the power that he had, but he still had none. And it was incredibly intense. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting turning point for like the horror element of the book for me, where once that happens, you're like, oh shit, Ursula means business. Yeah. (laughs) She is not fucking around. She seems to be like all over like the whereabouts of our protagonist. So it's like, how is he actually going to escape this? It's like, first of all, the question was, you know, how is he going to get off the property and go Mm -hmm. to the Hempstocks and, you know, get them to send Ursula away? But then now it's like, it's almost added like a countdown timer where it's like, oh shit, she's now progressed to 
getting dad to drown me or attempt to drown me, like, how much time do I even have left alive, yeah. let alone, like, you know, can I get rid of Ursula at all? Yeah. Which is horrible. And he's a seven-year-old child. Yeah. Which you have to remind yourself of, I think, in those moments. Cause yeah. It's, it's quite... Super traumatic from, yeah. like, when you, when you, like, remind yourself of, yeah, the yeah. age of the protagonist. Because I definitely a few times was getting lost, lost in that magicalness of it and, and the, you know, the sort of evil Ursula monster thing. And then I was having to literally remind myself, hold up a second, this is happening to a little boy. Like, mm. that, that's horrifying yeah i think um one of the other kind of things i picked up on more so in the end um the way it ends is um just that kind of also that question and i think he he kind of asks it throughout the book and then even kind of reflecting as an adult like was i worth that protection like Mm -hmm. i caused so much trouble yeah and like was i worth it am i worth the care and support and the love that I am getting when I've caused so much trouble. Is my life worth this? You know, because he was constantly questioning, like, why these women would would take care of him. And especially, obviously, kind of in the end, and I won't spoil the whole thing, but, you know, there's a great deal of sacrifice made for him, for his kind of foolish decision um, and his, his kind of innocence and ignorance in that moment when, you know, he was told not to do something, he did it, and then this whole kind of thing happened... You know, was it my fault, and do I deserve to be taken care of in this way? And it's it's kind of heart wrenching too, I think, for for me, because it it feels bad, I think, to think this. But what I was thinking at that, you know, at that sort of the maybe not the epilogue, maybe it's the epilogue, last chapter mm-hmm. of the epilogue, somewhere mm-hmm. around there, where it's just like you kind of think in the back of your head, like maybe not, <laughs> like it is. Yeah, if, if we're looking to avoid spoilers, it is a massive sacrifice. There is a massive yeah. loss yeah. Um, that happens there at the end of the book, and like. There is a little bit of insight into this guy's adult life, like very, very sparse. There's a little bit of insight into his adult life sort of like dotted throughout there, um, despite the book taking place or when he was like seven years old. And you kind of think like, yeah, he's not a bad guy. Like he hasn't grown up to be a murderer or something like that. But like he's just grown up incredibly, incredibly average. And you're like considering the sacrifice it took to get him there, you kind of like, I don't know, I felt like I sunk into myself a little bit and I was like, damn, like that's... That's kind of a shame. Yeah. I guess the message there is that average people are important to you. Oh, that's a nice way to look at it. Brad and I both just dark-sided with it, and you're like, oh, that's a lovely thing. <laughs> but, I mean, you don't. It's, your life is not worth something because you go on to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Your life is worth something because you exist and you're in it. And because you're a little boy or because you're a vulnerable person or because you're growing and the world is changing and you have struggles and challenges, and therefore you are deserving of care. You don't have to be some brilliant pioneering superstar to be deserving of that care. And yes, there might be sacrifices, but there are always sacrifices. The only thing that you don't want to sacrifice is the fact that you should and will be given care. If you sacrifice that, then we end up in a fucked up world with Ursula Moncton. If you if you sacrifice something to care for another person, then we end up in the world of the Hemstocks. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I agree with you. I do. Yeah. yeah. I think at the end of the day, I, th- I think the kind of obvious theme throughout the book is this kind of disparity between childhood and, and adulthood. And it's yeah. it's very kind of, I mean, there's, if I may quote a quote, um, there's ones, there's actually a few quotes that I had, and I know, Brad, you've picked one uh, of a similar theme in the end as well. Um, but there's moments like uh, where I think when he's, 
I think it's when he's tr- escaping or trying to escape um, and he's like kind of running throughout the fields and stuff. There's a part that says adults follow paths. Children explore. Adults are content to walk the same way hundreds of times or thousands. Perhaps it never occurs to adults to step off the paths, to creep beneath rhododendrons, to find the spaces between fences. I felt attacked. (laughs) (laughs) So you're like, hold up, I'm always in the rhododendrons. I am constantly walking (laughs) the same path every day. But it is like, it's things like that. And he brings them up time and time again. And he has such a beautiful and poignant way of saying it um, kind of over and over. Another one, sorry. No, please, quote away. Um, Another one about grownups is uh, he does, the character does talk a lot about, you know, oh, well, grownups, you know, like you said, grownups don't believe me or grownups know what's what's right and wrong. It's this very childish notion that grownups have it all together. Mm. And wise Letty Hemstock kind of sets him straight at this one point and says, uh, grownups don't look like grownups on the inside either. Outside, they're big and thoughtless and they always know what they're doing. Inside, they look just like they always have, like they did when they were your age. The truth is, there aren't any grown-ups, not one in the whole wide world. So true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm yet to meet one. And that is um, what we call imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> That's a segue into a whole different podcast. <laughs> we don't have time to discuss yeah. that um, today. That, that, and along with, like you were saying, with the epilogue as well, they, these themes of... Um, childhood, adulthood, self-identity. So he constantly returns to this space as an adult in different parts of his life. Yeah, almost, that's cool when they yeah, reveal that. I which, like that. As when you reveal it, you kind of think it's almost like he's trying to make sense of this journey, this path that adults are on. And to make sense of it, he has to look back to these big moments that happened as a child because that's where his selfhood, his identity, his path, his whatever journey he is going on starts. And where it may well end in some ways in terms of that coming to terms with who you are thing and that just trickles throughout the book and it becomes more and more important I think when you get to the end of the book that realizing identity and the relationship between your experiences of child and as an adult hold you very much in that space and looking at them and in experiencing and understanding them can shape and change who you are in that moment which for me was something that I really thought was powerful in that book mm, absolutely how did you come across this book? Why? Yeah, when how did and it how? fall into your lap? And so it's interesting that you asked that because I actually found this book at an interesting point in my life. Not that my life was particularly complicated or anything there, but I, as I said before, I don't read as much as I'd like to. Certainly not as much as I did when I was younger. And so this book kind of found me in that I was. So I was living with my. Uh, girlfriend's mum because I'd just moved over from Australia to the UK and so we were staying with her for a little while just to sort of find our feet Um, and she was getting rid of some books maybe just getting rid of stuff in general I don't know and she sort of flagged two Neil Gaiman books to me and prior to this time I'd only attempted to read American Gods and it was just a bit of a slog I sort of uh, maybe like got a quarter of the way through it really wasn't anything impressive it didn't get very far through and I was like this is just I'm not enjoying reading this so I'm just going to put it down and so I was a little bit wary um, but I'd heard such great things about him and I, I decided to to read uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane first and it was an interesting experience because you got to realize up until this point in my life I've been living in Australia and only in Australia and no like you know, big name author, uh, I shouldn't say no, but none of the 
authors or like books or films or anything I'd been interested in up until that point had been set in Australia. But yeah, so it was this thing where I hadn't read or, or seen anything where Australia was the setting. And although, yes, I wasn't living in Sussex, it was like, this is uh, it, like an English village setting. And I'm currently living in an English village. So it was kind of interesting to, I think, read this thing that I could more like more explicitly identify with. It sounds weird, but just that, that fact of having just the same or what I imagined was a similar physical setting. Like I was sort of transplanting where I was living and the surroundings into this book. I was projecting them into the book. Um, and I think that maybe helped me get through, like get through that little hump at the start of the book where you're not sure if you like a book yet, you know, maybe you're not hooked yet and you're like, should I keep going? And it was like, no, I will keep going. And I sort of got through that and, and just found it like, really really enjoyable and I'm glad that I did and I'm not sure that ever would have happened were it not for this chance circumstance where that book was just handed to me randomly like just these two Neil Gaiman books that was all that was on offer it's like do you want these before I throw them whatever it was <laughs> I don't know it's a crazy scenario a glowing review from yeah. Neil Gaiman's work yeah <laughs> I've, no, but I think, I think she likes <laughs> I think she likes Neil Gaiman though I feel like she does so you know I don't what? know why it was even she happening. She probably gave you her paperbacks because she loved it so much. She replaced it with hardbacks. That's not true. She was like, I don't read anything by Amanda fucking Palmer's husband. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So the book found me. The book found you. Yeah. I think that that's very fitting for the type mm. of book that it is. Yeah, I, I definitely felt that as well. It reminded me a lot of, I was very easily able to imagine where it was. And I found that, that the first sort of 10, 12 pages just got me through it because I, I could see it really clearly mm. mm-hmm. so Brad who would you recommend this book to and why um, I'd recommend it to although you said that uh, you're not a huge fantasy person and like you quite enjoyed it I definitely have to recommend it to anyone anyone interested in fantasy um, anyone who's read any of Neil Gaiman's other works he just has this weird indescribable kind of magical quality that I've seen just I, I don't know how to put it into words but I've just seen it trend across his other works so if you've if you've read anything else of his and enjoyed it definitely um, if you enjoy fantasy definitely if you want as well like a, 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 a fantasy book or a book with magic in it that doesn't have to be set in some faraway land with a new language and crazy names like it's very very centered um, in this sort of this one antagonist you know these kind of little pops of magic here and there um, it's very, it feels very like low stakes in a good way. Like, yes, I know technically if we want to get into it, you know, the fate of the world was probably, <laughs> was probably hanging in the balance. But only one world. Yeah. Not several worlds, yeah. for example. But it's like, it's all just located to like all the... It could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> one world is better than five. Yeah. But like all the... All the harm, all the danger was just like located pretty much to On just these like two properties yeah. in Sussex. <laughs> which I think is kind of is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I've actually already recommended this book to like four different people. Yeah, since I, reading it just for this podcast. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I took a lot of. I was saying to you, I took a lot of pictures of passages from this book and made notes of. There were just a lot of little bits where I thought, that's lovely, that's lovely, and yeah. I sort of sent them around. People were like read this passage. I'm um, like, what is the context of this? <laughs> you're sending me. I'm like, okay, super quick. Boy, Wormfoot. <laughs> 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 Scary monster woman, bad man. Read this. <laughs> just like like some of the quotes that you've read, they're really gorgeous. But if you don't have the context, people just think I'm nuts. Yeah. Um, but I have. Yeah, I found there were a lot of lovely little moments in it that I wanted. I really wanted people to read. Yeah. 
and it's quite an accessible book, I think. And a friend of mine aren't big readers, I've said, read this. Cause yeah, it's, right. It's you can low barrier to entry. Yeah, exactly. You're not like having to get your thesaurus out and work out what the hell's happening yeah. or, you know, go through dictionary of the long words. Like, it's quite an accessible yeah. novel, I think. Actually, yeah. sorry, can I add one other person no. as the type of person? <laughs> You only get one. As a type of, I already said several. I said fans of fantasy and whatever else I said. I've yeah. already forgotten. Who else? Um, Everyone. No, one thing <laughs> which is going to sound dumb, but it's going to make sense in a second. People who have read it before. Mm. So yep. I think I experienced the book very differently first time around versus this time around. And I think the fact that I let it go so long and that I have a terrible memory allowed me to identify with another sort of element of the book, which I think is touched upon pretty early on. And then I suppose covered again right at the end. There is... um is the concept of memory mm, and yeah. how, like, you know, th- things can change over time, like your recollection of them and how, you know, I think there's a quote in there somewhere about, like, no two people will ever remember one situation the yeah, same. Yeah. And it's like, that sort of hit me because as, as I was rereading it, I was like, whoa, like, I'd forgotten elements X, Y, and Z of the plot. And, oh, I never actually appreciated, you know, A, B, and C of the plot here. And I think that it was really worth rereading it a second time after some time Whereas there are plenty of other novels in my life that I've tried rereading and just been like, eh, I remember this perfectly or I'm not getting anything new out of this. But I think this is definitely a novel where I did get something new out of it. And it was fun that that sort of was thematically covered in the book. Yeah, totally. I I definitely made me think a lot about memory and experience, especially as a child, how we interpret information as a child as opposed to how an adult might understand that same situation is completely different. Mm. And that, I think, in itself is quite has a really powerful role in the book and how you look at power and memory and, and self as well so that is a good yeah yeah good suggestion and i am also excited that we will soon have the opportunity to experience and interpret it in a whole new way uh because at the theater, at the theater <laughs> we've just found out yeah uh so it's such wonderful timing that the national theater are adapting this for the stage, and it uh, it starts here in London December, in December. December. That's December, wild. December, so, like, I didn't know yeah. about it until you sent me. I didn't that know photo. about it. I think yeah. Neil Gaiman retweeted it, and it's mm. like we follow him. Obviously, hey, follow us back, Neil <laughs> at Neil himself. Um, <laughs> but uh, he had just retweeted because the po- the the poster the really art is cool. on sale. It's beautiful, really beautiful. Um, and I just sent it to I just sent it to back like all caps. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And she's like, what's happening? And I just sent her the poster. She's like, mate. I'm like, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we're going. So, yeah, we're definitely going. Are yeah. you going? I think I will. I think I'm just I will. very – see, when I – you said back the when you were reading it, like, you your brain wanted to see it on I the really stage. I really wanted to see it. Yeah, the whole time I was reading it, partly I was thinking, this is such a good Doctor Who episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where's the Doctor? Uh, but I, I found it – I really wanted to be seeing it. I felt like it was – more than I was enjoying reading it but I wanted to experience it more and I wanted to kind of see it because I, I could see it so much kind of immerse I yourself in I it. wanted to be immersed in it more than I was reading it and I, I found it such a visual experience but, to read but I thought I thought film yeah that stage I'm just I'm very but that makes it very exciting because I'm so yeah. interested to see how some of these more magical kind of insane hard to even visualize in your head things are going to come to life on stage like some of the more yeah. kind of supernatural elements, it's going to be very interesting to see how they bring those to life. <laughs> Thank you, Brad, uh, for sharing this book with us. I think we both enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. We're on a roll. I like, appreciated this book. I, I'm glad. I, I also did. appreciated this book. Did you appreciate it? 
Yes. Good. Great. Okay. Just checking. That's three. That's three for three. Which three out of three appreciations. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Neil. God. <laughs> Such good grown up in guys. His <laughs> his greatest honor yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Add it to his idiots. Wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> accolades. <laughs> I may do. <laughs> All right. I may do. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, once again for listening. Uh, if you want to be the next Brad and share a book with us, uh, please apply via yaopod.com. Yeah, we are loving all the books at the moment. Follow us on social media at Yaopod. That's on Twitter and Instagram. We have a Facebook group which you can come and chat to us about books in. And, and new to our list, uh, for those of you that would like to support the podcast financially uh, and help us to continue buying books <laughs> and uh, and spending our spare time talking about them, editing them, um, and all of this fun stuff we've taken on on top of our daily lives. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash yowpod. You can get some great exclusive content. I'm thinking bloopers reels, so get stoked, uh, as well as uh, some little bits of merch and extra goodies. And we've set the first goal point for Patreon because oftentimes people will set a goal, like once we get to a certain amount monthly. Beck, you'll be thrilled to know that oh, as of God. last night, I set the goal to once we get to 100 a month, which is not that massive a feat I will read Pride and Prejudice thank the lord people and we'll do a special bonus episode (sighs) guys this is it is on you to educate this woman in the wonders of of artistic literary works yeah and the the canon of the genius it is Jane who who, what, what was it what was it Austin. There we go. Yeah, I hear she's all right. So uh, (laughs) she's written some. If if you'd like to give back (laughs) the greatest gift of all, um, that's where you can do it. Find us on Patreon. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and uh, until next time. Bye. Bye. Your own words is hosted by Alison Dunning and Becky Gray. It is recorded in London at the Pitch Room.